invite you now to join our conversation, an instrument of healing as we share how each of us can grow through times of illness, grief, and loss. Our wish is through these words you will discover a healing community that promotes insight, reignites hope, and nurtures peace. Welcome. Hello, everybody. This is Jeffrey Cloninger, your Conversations with Kelly podcast host. Here's Kelly Grosslegs. How are you today, Kelly? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's been a time, but hey, we're hanging in there, right? Yeah, it is. It's it's a, as we hear a lot, it's an unprecedented time for all of us, for sure. It's, you know, um, we're being safe right now, right? We're doing six feet apart as we um, record this. Six feet apart. We should probably have plexiglass between us, but... I know. And so we're being, we're being very safe. Um, and so we are recording this episode during the times of COVID-19. Um, but it's, it's important that we continue to reach out to the community and stay connected in the best ways that we can. Absolutely. And you bring up COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And of course the pandemic has changed so much of how each of us lives every day Mm -hmm. in not only how we experience our joys and, interacting with one another, but also how we experience and express our grief that we have. It's different today and it needs to be different today than it ever was before. Yeah. And so I thought it would be important on this episode. We can talk about that. And then I also really want to, I had a beautiful conversation recently with somebody that talked about her physical interactions with grief and how they surprised her Mm. um, so much. And so I think Um, I I think we're doing a lot of things different right now. And even going to the doctor is an issue and, um, and, you know, brings up challenges for us. And so really we grieve differently. We're living differently. We're doing everything differently right now. But I think what's really important, whether we're in a pandemic or not, is to know that Grief has a very physical side to it, as well as a spiritual, emotional, psychological side. The interesting thing, Jeffrey, is many people that I have worked with and counseled for grief often present to their doctors with physical ailments or physical complaints, not even realizing it's connected to grief. I was just going to ask you, are you saying that people show up and they're feeling a a tummy ache or maybe even a pain in the back or the shoulder Mm -hmm. or something else, and it's not present in their mind that it's something that may be related to mental health? Right. So the body knows. The body knows. and Darn body, it's so smart. (laughs) It's so smart. And that it it will present to us, it will communicate to us. And we're working really hard. You know, we had um, an earlier episode, we had Brian Pyatt on talking about mental health and how we're trying to change the language around that, that we're actually trying to have language around it mm-hmm. and, and talk. We need language around it. Right, and talk around it. And so what's interesting is people are more apt to go into a clinic when they are feeling a physical ailment than they would be to reach out for an emotional component. I think also in grief, so much can get written off as grief. And um, I think that that's important, but I definitely want to say that it's, it is essential that if you are having physical ailments, that yes, it can be related to a grief experience if you just lost something, but that you always should get it checked out. 
because even if it is related to grief, let's say, you know, one of the very common things I see is um, insomnia, digestive issues, mm-hmm. loss of energy, um, anxiety, um, a lot of, there can be a lot of headaches. I will also say that it is not uncommon based on what your loved one died from. Let's say they died from colon cancer. It is not uncommon that the grief will manifest into some type of digestive intestinal issue. Interesting. If, so related to the cause of death. Yes. Of it the can loved really, one. and I'm not saying that's, I, you still need to get it checked out. And it still can be possibly treated for comfort reasons. Right. You know, there may not be any physiological reason or um, anything from a standpoint, you know, lots of tests are done in grief. Lots of workups are done in grief. Those are really important. That Where we are failing in the medical system, however, is that when those things are ruled out, let's say no ulcer, no GI bleed, no whatever it may be, um, whatever tests are done, that it kind of is like, this is it. What I really want medical professionals to do that are listening is I want you to take it a step further once everything's been ruled out and ask your, ask your patient, have you had a significant loss within the last 6 to 12 months, last 12 to 18 months, whatever that may be, or what sometimes grief gets delayed and the person's been living with this for so long. So really the best way to ask it is, when was your most recent significant loss that you've experienced Mm. and let people go there. Um, And so, you know, again, it's really important that we assess people because then what they may need is likely some therapeutic support through a therapist. This is great. So um, Kelly, I know in my own experience, when I go to the doctor, they've started screening me every single time I walk in, like, how are you feeling? Do you feel depressed? Mm -hmm. Is everything okay? And even that question of, do you feel safe? Mm -hmm. So I know that some physicians, it's, it's probably becoming standard operating procedure to ask. So that's great. It is. It's a wonderful step in the right direction. What I hear from my patients is that they fill out those forms and there's not much of a follow-up because we can get so busy um, in our day, day in and day out. I mean, the healthcare system is maxed. And so... Yeah. And it does, I will admit, sometimes no discredit to the medical field or clinicians. It feels a little check the box e. It's again, it's it's a it's better than nothing, and it certainly can be. And some some clinics are better at it than others. I wish in an ideal world there was a person in charge of just those forms that they would read them after the patient fills them out, mm-hmm. and that there would be resources available based on what the answer is. Right. Unfortunately, um, sometimes people are very vulnerable and they're very honest and they have been surprised by the lack of follow-up or some people just think this isn't, you know, I don't want it bells and whistles to be going off. So I'm just going to say I'm fine on right, here. Right. Which I know sometimes when they ask me the questions about like, Hey, do you drink? How much do you drink every week? I underestimate a little. I'm just going to be right out with it. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't tell the full story. How much do you drink? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Wow. Um, wow. So <laughs> um, that will be like a podcast, like 284. <laughs> So the, the, the main thing, though, is for people listening, I really want you to know that that grief is so mind, body, and spirit. It really is. And 
we know that we have a sad heart and we know that we cry in grief and we know that sometimes we sleep too much or we don't sleep enough. All of these things, as, as usual and common as they may be and understandable as they may be, doesn't mean we shouldn't have them looked at because there are things that can be done to help ease these symptoms. But again, really, most of the patients I saw for grief work in my practice had already visited their physician for something. Mm-hmm. Whether Their physician often would have referred them to me. Um, and so they started with the, the physical, which I think is brilliant. I also, I want to get to, in this society, I want to get to where it is both of these things, where... We're making appointments for physical health. We're making appointments for our mental health. I mean, they're they're not either or in right. this society, and, right? And one is, of course, looked down upon. Mm-hmm. The, the mental health piece is, and I think for some time, unfortunately, may be looked on, upon as there's something wrong with you. Right. As opposed to if I have a broken arm, oh yeah, there's something wrong with me. Yep. And you're going to get it fixed. Because physical, it's easy to see what the fix is. Right. But in the, in the mental health space, it's it's a lot harder. Well, and, you know, um, it's so interesting because, you know, I love that you brought broken arm up because I'll, I'll say to people, those are things we fix. We don't fix emotions. We, mm. we don't. We fix a car. We fix a broken bone. We fix whatever it may be. Um, but we, you know, it's, it's not so much about fixing it as about processing it. And I will say that. I, I'm perfectly fine if people, you know, they want to say I'm going to a grief therapist. That sounds fluffier than I'm going to a mental health practitioner. You know, they don't want to. And I will say that I don't really believe in treating grief with an antidepressant per se. But I really do believe that you have to be assessed by somebody who really gets grief because there is a very thin veil between grief and clinical depression. Grief can absolutely turn into depression. It mm-hmm. can turn into an anxiety disorder, especially when we have when we're sleep deprived, nutritionally deprived. Um, you know, with this pervasive kind of ongoing experience of grief, it can absolutely turn into a mental health diagnosis. And right. so, again, it would be important for you to be assessed by somebody who understands grief. And I, I'm not, I am quick to um, once I have a good understanding of what's going on with somebody, and I do believe it's a clinical depression, I do think that medication is one part of the healing process. It's not the only part, but it can be a very important part. Sure, and And it doesn't always come in play at the same time for everybody. No, and we have to remember that grief is lifelong and that when there is a deep, deep, deep connection and love, there will be a deep grief. And so I, you know, some people think, oh, I got past the first year, I'm fine. I got past the second year, I'm fine. If the grief work wasn't done in the first couple years anyways, or the first 10 years, that grief is essentially brand new the minute you allow it to come to the surface. So I don't get hung up on when did this person die to you? You know, Mm -hmm. that's why the question of what was your most recent loss? And if they say, well, you know, their mother died 10 years ago. And then I would follow up with, tell me what kind of, what kind of healing work you did. I got really busy. I had small kids. I went into the, you know, and now it's presenting. And, and what it was, was it was a different loss that exacerbated this one. So I just want to say that I, you know, 
it is a physical, it absolutely can manifest physically. And I just think that that is so important. And if that's what gets us in, then that's okay. Right. But where we fail people is when we do all of our rule outs and then we just say, well, we didn't find anything. We have no evidence. You know, you talk about the rule outs and when you think about, and when I think about physical grief, to me, at least in my, my own history, it hasn't been like I got a migraine or mm-hmm. I had a, an issue with my intestinal tract. It's, it's that pain on my heart, yeah. right? Which is, it's esoteric. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's so freaking real. It's heaviness. It's pressure. And so, okay, so maybe that's, it's not angina or right. whatever right. they call it, but it is definitely physical. Oh, it's... In fact, that's what I always tell people because they say, I'm not making this up because there's this there's this belief system that when we say this is related to grief that we're saying to you, this doesn't exist. It's hooey. It absolutely exists. It it's just, not hooey. No, and that's why we have to rule these things out. I have seen so many broken hearts, like truly that is a syndrome, and... We, you know, there's a there's a segment in my book, A Comforted Heart, that talks about grief is like a bruise on the heart. And I was recently interviewed by a pathologist, a wonderful pathologist, um, who said she was intrigued by my wording because she knows what a bruise looks like on the heart. And oh, she asked fascinating. me to talk about that and why I chose that. And we just had a beautiful discussion about it. And oftentimes when we are grieving, if you actually even just push on the chest wall, you will feel, it will feel bruised. And that, that can be from tension there, mm-hmm. um, whatever it may be, but it, bruises are very tender. Um, bruises do heal that part of our heart will heal, but there will always be that scar there or whatever it may be, but it's very tender and we need to treat it with a very tender nature. If you have a bruise, that's very painful on another part of your body. You're not going to go at it and beat it up and and insult it over and over and over again. You are going to take it and you're going to have it with tenderness and you're going to do what you can do um, to allow the healing to happen. And so it absolutely is like a bruise on the heart. I mean, I do feel that grief is is a bruise and there's been an ins- there's been an injury to our heart space, our psychological being of us as a person. And, you know, I also think people can really identify with that too. When I'd say that, I'd say, this is like a heart, this is like a bruise on your heart. And again, back to our comfort level with physical ailments, physical injury um, in the society, people can really hold on to that. Like that gives them something as an imagery that they can go with. And so it's a, I mean, we had a beautiful conversation about this because she was looking at it from like how a bruise looks on an actual heart. And I said to her, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe if we did examinations on people that have had significant loss, maybe we would see structural changes in the heart. I think you should do a study. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I will do that. It'd be fascinating to see. It it will. it, It is fascinating. I do know this from my own loss that when I have pressed on my chest, it hurts. Now, going back to what I said earlier about how grief can manifest based on 
sometimes based on what a loss, what the cause of death was to somebody. Mm-hmm. With my mom dying of a heart attack, feeling any kind of sensation in my chest can be very anxiety provoking for me. It can be very triggering. And so pressing on that, you know, I know that that's not a cardiac symptom, so to speak, but it is a definite, I have, my grief has manifested a lot in my chest. Yeah. For sure. And you've created a neural pathway, a neuro pathway from that pain, even though it may not have happened in you. Right. And it, so it, it has happened because you've created that experience in your own mind. Right. Yeah. And so even though the book was very based on oncology um, or illness and grief of any kind, really, you know, a comforted heart is, was um, many reasons we chose it. What came to me recently is that... You're talking about your book, A Comforted Heart. Right, my book, A Comforted Heart, but also what came to me recently is that, oh, I didn't even think of this when I titled that book, but that story in there, those stories, which my own grief is woven in there from the death of my mother, that throughout all these stories... One of, again, one of my grief manifestations was very much cardiac. So Kelly, in your experience, this is showing up as a heart event, a cardiac symptom, your right. grief. And so it dawned on me that I must have, through all of these stories in my book, looked for a comfort in my own heart. As much as I wrote, as much as when Barbara and I were titling the book, um, because as, Barbara you, Fleetum, as you know, amazing. I was going to say Barbara Fleetum, um, was a huge reason the book even got written. Um, But we went round and round. We had so many titles. And when it came to this, what it was was that we were hoping, I was so focused on everyone else reading this, that that their hearts would be comforted no matter what they were going through. And it recently dawned on me that I think, having done this work, I was looking for comfort of my own heart as well. And How could you not? Right. And so watching all the resiliency and the beauty and the um, people just stepping in and leaning in and working with their own grief, like has inspired me beyond what I think I've ever even talked about. You know, I had to do the work before I could do the work with other people. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's important to note. I've been doing my grief work really since I was 11, but really more intensely since I was 30, then walking in and stepping in and walking with people on this walk, in this path, has inspired me in so many other ways. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. So if grief manifests itself physically alongside the mental component of it, what are some things that we should be looking out for that we can, that we can ask our clinician or ask our friends to help us. If it's easier for you to tune in to the physical part, please do that. Because I actually have never met a person that's had a significant loss that hasn't had some physical variation come out. Mm-hmm. Truly. Whether- I mean, I know, uh, sorry to cut you off, but like w- if I'm stressed out, I'll get a cold, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's a very simple thing. Yeah. It's not necessarily a, a, a loss where I experience grief per se, right. but our body takes this toll. And sometimes I don't experience the cold or the flu until after this really, really stressful time. That's very common. So the, so grief on the immune, the immune system, we do know by research, gets depleted in grief. We also know that it is a very dehydrating experience, especially if people are crying a lot and not replenishing with water. So one of the things that I think is really important is to remember to 
drink water again back to grief is a physical, also a physical experience. We have to stay hydrated. When we're not hydrated, we're more susceptible also to to mm-hmm. things. So um, the things to look out for with people, is that what you asked me? Yeah, like, you know, it, so obviously there's things that are going on, but I'm not always the most attuned to my body. Just go with it, <laughs> right? And maybe maybe we're not always paying attention to our body, but what are the things that we should be looking for? Well, first of all, I, I, I really want people to be looking at their sleep cycle. I mean, it is so common. Most A lot of people in grief will tell me I've experienced this myself. They wake up at a very similar time every night. It tends to be between 2 and 4 a.m., and they then can't get back to sleep. So we want to be mindful of our sleep. You know, and, and we can't always be responsible for noticing all this stuff when we're so in the depths of just being in so much emotional pain. Great point. So don't put pressure on yourself right. to have to find these things. And so there it's may okay be, if you don't. Maybe as a maybe a friend can ask us, you know, how are you sleeping? What have you eaten today? Some people overeat in grief, some people their appetites slow down. You know, I'm I, an overeater and I know for a fact that you are an undereater. Yes, like I don't when I, you know, when I've had a significant loss, it just like mm. my stomach and yeah. so and we don't, you know, we don't really I mean, we should be making good choices when we eat. Sometimes in grief, like I'll just grab like a cookie or something because it it's satisfying, so right. to speak. So we want to be watchful of our eating, our nutrition. Um, our hygiene is another thing to kind yeah. of look at that it tends to be, that's kind of a, a sign to us about how often are we bathing, how often are we showering, brushing our teeth. Shaving. Shaving guy. for men, you know, that kinds of thing. Absolutely. It's, that tends to not necessarily be important. But if we're on like day 10 of not showering or not getting out of bed, though that could be a that could be a sign of something else is going on. Yeah. And you know what? This is a great conversation, not just for you, the individual who may be experiencing grief, but for anybody who's a caregiver or a friend to somebody, these are things that you can pay attention to and just notice. Yeah. So, and it doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. Like if you're not sleeping, I mean, these are things we expect, but I've always told my patients and, and I have to remind people this when I'm doing talks that even if it's things we expect, it doesn't mean it's things that we want to go on and on and on. And that there are things we can do for comfort um, around it. Mm-hmm. If you're having sleep issues, maybe you do meditation. There, I have certainly had people that have had to go on maybe a, a, a short-term sleeping aid, medication-wise. That's absolutely appropriate. So we don't want to, again, what I said in the beginning, we don't necessarily want to write it off as, well, this is just grief. We have to have sleep and restorative nights in order to do this work. I mean, there is just, and when I say this work, Grief is a ton of work. Like yeah. it is, it's a daily conversation with yourself about, okay, just get up today, brush your teeth today, maybe maybe open the blinds today. You know what it is? It, it's a check-in, mm-hmm. right? And so creating space to have a process Yeah. for those Germans out there, anybody who likes a process <laughs> or a checklist, it's like, hey. And you're German, so you can say that. I am, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, create the space to have that sort of list or whatever works for you. And if, if something doesn't check the box or hit the mark, that's okay. Yeah. Cause maybe that's a sign of healing too. Right. Right. Cause grief changes over time, the physical manifestations of your grief or the mental 
condition that you're experiencing is going to change over time. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, right. And so we also have to remember that we all, um, you know, I, I like the, the analogy of the baby mobile, mobile that, you know, the, that hangs over the crib. So when there's a death, let's say it's like seven fish that are hanging down, you pull on one of those fish, that's the loss that happened. Whether it's, you know, death, divorce, whatever you pull on one fish, Mm -hmm. the, all of them, all of the rest of them are reactive to it but they may not move in the same way. And, and I think some may move back and forth. Some may go in a circle, whatever it may be. Everybody's grieving this same loss, but we're all doing it in our own individual ways. And that is absolutely okay. Right. Some people laugh in grief. Some people, um, Oh, like they want to stay really busy. I think it's important to be busy. I have concerns with people that get over busy because it's a, it's something to check in on. Mm-hmm. How busy are you? How much are you sleeping? Yeah. How little are you sleeping? How much are you working? Mm-hmm. Right. How many of us dive into our work or a project? Right. And so joy is a very interesting thing in grief. Um, in depression, we tend to lose joy, like for pervasive amounts of time in grief, there can still be moments of joy. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a really important one. I think there can be moments of joy and depression too, but I hear what you're saying where it's for a prolonged period of yeah, time. Yeah. And more of a clinical thing. You, yep. you, you know, even people that adore their own children have a hard time in depression, looking at their children and finding any kind of moment, um, when they're really feeling down. So that's another thing. I also look for irritability. If irritability has, oh boy. <laughs> but if irritability has exacerbated, again, we tend to go down more of a clinical look at it. So, you know, the the point of this podcast is mostly to just affirm for people that you're going to feel your grief in your body. You're going to feel your grief in your emotions. You're going to feel your grief. You're just, you're going to feel your grief in so many aspects of your life. What I do want to drive home is that if you have a, you know, and some of us are more in tune to our bodies than others. You know, I mean, some people, I'll I'll say to patients, like, do you get stomach aches? Do you get headaches? And they have to, you know, let me think, you know, now that you say that, mm. I've had a headache for like four days straight. And I thought you were going to say for four years. Yeah, right. And so it's like, well, that's interesting. You know, now those could be reactions to dehydration, no sleep, lack of nutrition, all of that. But again, it all kind of correlates back to the grief. And so when you go in, please go in. And I, because I do think it's an opportunity for us to have an assessment. And sometimes they do find things. Um, and that doesn't negate that it's still grief, but it's, it's something that has to be worked up further. And my heart goes out to people that are grieving so deeply, because I will say that it is a very, very tender bruise on the heart. And it is something that we should, we should treat like, um, we should treat, we should treat our grief, our emotional wounds, like we would a physical wound and be very gentle, allow people in to help us. And also just remember, please, that your body and your mind will tell you. It's just, we have to either be able to listen or have someone else listen for us. Kelly, thank you as always for these great tips, this great conversation. And to all of our listeners, I hope that you are being gentle. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this CWK podcast. It's our hope that these words bring comfort, healing, and insight to your life, wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing. Please subscribe and share this episode. You can also follow and like Conversations with Kelly on Facebook. One quick note, we've done our best to share some ideas, tips, and techniques to help guide you. This podcast's content is not intended to be a substitute for or constitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to seek professional medical advice if needed. Thank you.